welcome to this week's edition of The Scots in Us. I'm Camilla Hellman, President of the American Scottish Foundation, and this week we shine the spotlight on eco-fashion. Last December, we met at the Scottish North American Community Conference, and one of our segments was on eco-fashion. It was a great discussion with Siobhan McKenzie, Claire Campbell, and Chris Hunt. Siobhan is a leading designer, one of the forefront designers in Scotland at this time. Claire has a wonderful mill, Prickly Thistle, which is innovative and charging along and bringing the weaving back into the highlands. And Chris Hunt is a leading voice within the industry with his company, Genuine Marketing. And so let's now catch up with them as they tell us how they are handling the environment and how they are applying it to their fashion work today. Welcome, Siobhan. Hi, Camilla. How are you? I'm not too bad. And so where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from London. Right. And you're very busy at the moment. There's a lot going on. So I went to your website, which is looking fabulous, all redone uh, for this post-pandemic world at last, let's hope. Um, and also the news that you have been asked to lead on the 2022 Scottish team's Commonwealth uniforms. Is that correct? That is correct, indeed. Um, so I'm designing the tartan, the menswear and the women's wear for Team Scotland for the Birmingham Commonwealth Games this year. So that's going to be in July. Um, it's very exciting to have sort of my full creative input from the very beginning as I've worked with them before. I worked with them in 2018 in the Gold Coast Games where I designed the women's wear. And before that, in 2014, as I graduated, I was actually um, a, te a technical assistant, just like doing alterations and things behind the scenes, which kind of sparked my interest in the games and that kind of uh, like patriotic feeling of like supporting Scotland. So, um, yeah, so I got involved then and it's such a nice kind of journey to have started as a student and then now have the full um design journey really but we met i think it's six years ago now because you had been you were awarded the best new scottish designer of 2016 just as you graduated and you came out here and everybody was so excited for you and by your designs that's right. Yeah, well, I graduated in 2014 and started my business and then I, I won the award in 2016. So pretty, pretty like quickly after I started the business, I won it. So it was a great accolade to have and kind of catapult my name. And one of the things that I've always loved is that you do not only do bespoke and these wonderful, unique one off designs. You also do a regular range. And it's full of great innovative ideas around the kilt from having the tartan inside the pleats to these new blocks of, I, I love the one with the tartan and then the leopard. And, and these are all available on your website. So we can take a look at those at the end of the program, but um, that's really great. And also some new products you're doing as well around the scarves and different things. That's right. I did the scarves um, kind of, 
during the pandemic is something that's a bit easier to sell and easier, you know, it's more, it's a giftable product, a scarf, and it doesn't need to be a specific size. And especially when people aren't, weren't particularly buying outfits for going out or anything, it's nice to have an accessory. So um, I designed them around then. And then yes, my latest collection of kilts is actually utilizing leftover tartan silks that I had and the leopard was a leftover silk also, uh, which is a really important part of my business too, because uh, my dad is an environment officer and has been for 33 years. So I was brought up with the way of not wasting anything. So some of these silks I have had as leftovers for years and I don't throw anything away. So I, uh, when I actually look through kind of my stock of silks I thought oh I could I could make some really nice products out of this and so that's what I did I utilized fabrics that would have otherwise been waste um and made these beautiful silk kilts if I do say so myself <laughs> um so let's now begin by listening to this wonderful um interview we were able to do with you in November as part of the Scottish North American Community Conference, which we're going to hold again this October and hope that we'll be able to speak with you and Chris and everybody again then. So let's begin then and then we can take um, a, a few questions. I have a few questions for you the other side. I think Sorry. all of you are such great voices. You've all got on planes or gone to things and and being vocal about what's going on. I do have to ask you though, and I apologize if this is already happening, but is there um, a move, do you have a, a tag, a, an icon like Harry Sweet does that says, this is a, an eco-friendly, you know, sustainable garment that's been made or whatever you're going to call it. Is there anything that can show that this is being made with in a responsible way because yeah. i think that matters for a lot of people now yeah i think it does i mean do you want to take that claire or spawn or something? Um, i was just going to jump in and you know agree yeah. with claire as you're saying about the legislation about things was i think what people don't realize is to attack something is made in scotland all that really needs to put on is things like the buckle and the label so i think we both of us especially would be so far actually having some some mark or label that shows the whole products made in Scotland and actually because then people say oh but that's made in Scotland and that's made in Scotland but your prices are totally different whereas actually when your whole product's made in Scotland obviously that's going to be coming at a different cost to something when the label's thrown on in Scotland so that protection I think would be really really important and I know there are some people trying to get and that. Scotland does carry such weight that's number Absolutely. one. So made in Scotland over a kilt made in China or something. It's, it's hands down, where even before they get to understanding the dyes and everything else. But what you're talking about is how you're making these things and your and what's behind it and what Scotland believes in. And I yeah. think yeah. great. And it's it's where the fabric is yeah. from, the person who's so, you know, it's that whole journey that people know even through to when you showed or when you did the photo shoot to go in the lookbook, that all of that was there, you know, that the waste from the photo shoot even was all very minimal if, if you know, non-existent. Um, and, and a lot of the location companies and stylists, when you're doing production now, 
I mean, it's in your nature because this is, you know, we're talking about protecting our home, aren't we? So I, I've, I'm glad to say I've, it's become increasingly rare that you come across somebody who isn't asking. Are you using public transport or electric cars to get to the shoot? You know, all of these questions are becoming more commonplace and more important. But on the issue of the, um, the, the sort of the, the brand mark or an icon, um, what what I am aware of, I'm sure there's many many people have been. I've I've had had heard conversations like this when I used to be in the Scottish textiles group years back. I don't think it's called that anymore. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> sorry, showing my age there. But um, <laughs> I think uh, what I am aware of is that the the re- redesigned Scott pr- platform that I'm doing. We are in talks um, to. Well, we're we're somewhere along the journey um, at at launching a a sort of fashion.scot brand, which will be be various things, but essentially it will work like a membership accreditation scheme. And I'm in talks with, you know, we have fantastic organisations like Fashion Revolution Scotland, which is sort of run on a voluntary basis by Nikki Taylor, who was one of the original design collective members back in 2000 and something um and uh and then we have sustainable fashion scotland as well which is a, a membership community that popped up uh, just around about the start of lockdown they managed to have their launch party about a week before lockdown um so we've been working quite closely with them on it. what would accreditation mean you know because you also want to reward people who are starting on the journey yeah, but responsible tourism that mm. they're saying to people who are looking after, uh, you know, are doing a bed and breakfast, wherever it is, that they are being responsible. They're being accredited, I believe, through Visit Scotland. But I think it would really be great because I love what you're doing, Siobhan, with the reusables and everything you do around everything in the mill is about that. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of some historics on it, and I think things have changed significantly in the last couple of years. So being a trustee of the Scottish Tartan Authority, they've been very keen, not a mark of quality, but a mark of integrity and authenticity. Yes. So that is a woven in Scotland tartan mark. So what you're up against in some respects is that you have a very small industry and you've got to try and get your voice across to the policy, the decision makers to get that legal kind of framework and approval to put in place. So it started with obviously Scottish Register being officially recognised in 2008. So they have worked with a degree of success, but it's been very, very difficult for a lot of these um, mills to be taken seriously, which is really quite difficult with politicians, my pals, who I email on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, they see my name, I go, oh my goodness, here she comes. But it's, it's, it's kind there of... There she comes. <laughs> there she comes. Um, but, so they have tried for years, and um, I think that is changing now, because I think there is a real awareness as to you know, with obviously posted in Scotland, I think there is a real awareness as to how massively damaging fabrics is. And this is not talking about, you know, and I've been in conversations where they just go you know, tartan thingies, you know, don't even go there. This is like fabrics are massive, 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 massive. And it's not just what we wear, you know, it's this protection for home, you know, and talk about cars being electric, you know, so much oil and fabrics in cars, you know, as I say, the NHS. When you start looking at that, you go, oh, my goodness, how much oil do you want to make people lie in when they're, you know, pearly? So I think there is 
you know, there is great organizations out there. We're working with like um, the likes of iBioIC, the bioengineering kind of academic um, industry facilitator where there is huge developments happening. And we're working with Johnson's Belgium, which is really exciting because they're obviously one of the biggest in, in the industry on how we can start showing the potential from natural fibres and the potential from reshoring a lot more of this on here, not just, for, yes, for what we wear and the icon that we're world-renowned for. And I think it will come, Camilla, but it has been, there has been people trying relentlessly. And I think, sadly, there was just this kind of, it's Wait, such a small, yeah. small economic contributor. You know, we're looking at whiskey, we're looking at oil and gas, we're looking at tech, we had some unicorn companies, and it was all about them managing and siloing their their funding shall we say so I totally agree and I think we have this conversation a lot with consumers and it's just it's taking a little bit more time so we kind of tend to buy on a kind of cost and convenience basis and I think you're finding there's a lot of brands out there now who are being so transparent supply chain maps you know their badges of honor things that we do and when you spend a little bit time getting to know a brand quite often they're already you know being transparent with you and that is an email then message them but I totally agree. There should be a framework in there. Um, and I think that will come now. You know, it has to come now because it's such a, 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 you know, a big fundamental piece across several I sectors. I think it also, I hate to say this, I've got to wind this up in a, a, with sort of a closing thing in a moment. But I think also, and this is Christopher, the marketeer, um, I think if we can come up with the right wordings that we all start to use mm. around eco-fashion or whatever you want us to be calling it so that we start getting it into everybody's heads. I think that yeah. will help because I it's a, yeah. Sorry. that I think will help. So just as a wine, as a finish up for everybody, could you, Chibon, let's start with you. What do you see in 2022? What do you hope will be coming for you within fashion and within all of this space? Um, are you going to be, you're going to be seeing this more as a, um, a bespoke couture situation with a controlled manufacturing, slow fashion model? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're actually building a thing on my site at the moment where you can design your own outfit. And then again, that's just pushing the made to order. We'll only order the textiles once you've placed your orders so we're not ordering every single batch of textiles and holding it we just order it on a made-to-order basis so that we're only using really what what we need but just touching on again what, what Claire was saying there um that the creative industries haven't they, they do get overlooked and I really hope that's what I would like to see change next year certainly and I think that is what's really special about the Scottish fashion industry is that we all actually work together, like Chris was saying, we come together and work together on things rather than trying to do things ourselves. And Claire and I, we both work with Tartan, but in no means are we competitors because yeah, I've bought yeah. from her, she's bought from me, we've got the same end goal. So I think that's, that's what's really special about the Scottish fashion industry is that we support each other, we want, we'll work together to make things happen. So Christopher, what's where, where are you hoping to see everything go as you get my sirens in New York go rushing by? Very urban, yeah. Um, <laughs> it could be an eagle for me. Um, but I think the um, I think in 2022, my hope is that uh, partly exacerbated by COVID, but um, and what's happened with lockdown. But a politician said to me recently, "Stop asking for permission." 
and I lost patience. And I think what I lost patience with was this sort of seemingly never ending blocked roads and, and like, you know, so I started doing that voluntary research and we opened it up to anyone who was free in the industry could could pitch in and we had comments and responses from Johnston's from makeup artists from museum fashion workers and and the, one of the issues which Claire touched on historically has been that you know it's been seen as a small value exporter 300 million a year so all the government reaction has been based on that well there's two mills that turn over that between them and there's, you know, 30,000 people that work in the industry. So the new data that proves factually that it's worth over 2.8 billion, then suddenly we're, we're needing to update all the government policies because that's not up for discussion. That's a fact that's published by government. So once you start to ch make, see that change come through, I think it'll be really exciting. And also I think... You know, we want to see SRD's festival happen again. We want to take this message on the road around Scotland and look at consumer development in terms of affordable fashion in high street spaces as well. And, and how, and what the innovation is. Well. Yeah, well, what the innovation is for fabric around that, you know? Um, uh, and I think the cha I think change, change is what we want to see in 2022. And I think that the, there is a mood around to make it happen finally, which is very welcome. <laughs> and from you, Claire. Yeah. Um, so I think two aspects, two threads, a warp and a weft, shall we say. And um, one is absolutely how we help inspire. Uh, around people's conscious consumerism you know um so as a nation we did it in the past um that was our you know we Janie talked in the film like we never bought things that were cheap we bought things that were built to last so it's really that consumer awareness piece and I think working with Zero Waste Scotland or other government related to validate um and that's the price point piece as well if something's paid in a, a with a living wage and a locally sourced material made in a slow kind fashion way do the math you're not going to get a t-shirt for a fiver and not have exploited the right. people and planet so i think that's really important but also i think the the circular piece the recycling piece i think we are as a country we export pretty much all of our fabric waste to third world countries it's it's horrific so 1% globally is recycled and i think scotland you know, we've got this amazing natural fibres, but it's limited. So we create, we live within our means. But also think as a, as the kind of, you know, pioneers of before, how can Scotland come up with this amazing solution that's really thinking about how we can recycle? So once we've exacerbated the reuse, um, you know, we reduce what we buy in the first place, but recycling, how can we then start using our textiles, creative brains to really tackle that? So I think, yeah, keep inspiring people to think about what we do, but also you know, 21st century future, how can we deal with this crazy amounts of waste that is already there, you know? So that's what I hope for 22. Well, I, I could go on talking to you for hours and I hope that we can reconvene, um, you know, before a year and have another conversation around this. It's so important. And um, thank you all for joining us. It's been a fabulous panel. That was wonderful. It was one of my favourite parts of the conference I have to say and so well received by all of us uh, it was so it was so good to hear the three of you speak 
about the awareness about sustainable fashion, how it's managing to really have such a voice now. Um, in that segment, you touch upon reusing fabric um, again in, in different ways. So how does, uh, how do I, for instance, um, work with you in maybe a kilt that I have, or do you have a range that has reusable objects that you're taking in and have in your collection already? How are you doing this? So um, my current collection is made out of leftover materials um, that I've had, but if it's again something bespoke that we're doing and you would still like it to be made out of leftovers, I always have leftovers here or there. It means, for example, you might not necessarily get the tartan that you want, but we could look at what, what's available right. and make make something out of that or, or if you were looking to do something with what you've already got there's always ways to upcycle and maybe add some applique or embellishment and kind of just inject some fun back into a previously loved garment i know it's rather a lovely idea that you could take that kilt or jacket that you know that you either had a long time ago or that was your family's and and incorporate it in some ways so um, that um, is a labeling that goes with that. How, because one of the things we discussed in that segment was how do we let people know that this is made in a sustainable way and, you know, with eco awareness? Um, and if it's re uh, reused, renew, whatever, recycled fabric, are you now incorporating as an industry a label? Has that moved along at all? Um, I mean, labeling as such is more kind of for, for your composition of, of what the materials and things are. And my labels, we usually say made in Scotland. Um, but in terms of it's more, I guess, going to like brands, websites and things and seeing their traceability, because a brand should have if they, if they have nothing to hide, for example, of where it's made and what it's made from, that should be available on the, on the website. And it's just about taking that time to do your research on, on how things are made and, and where um and certainly in the, the likes of I think I discussed on on the on the episode was I would love to have you know for example a kilt only be allowed to be called a kilt if it's made in Scotland um which is I think is something that would be great um but it, it, it's 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 difficult because right now you could um only add for example you could have the bit the main part of it made overseas and then actually just add the buckles or the fastenings I know. and it'll be called made in scotland um so that's really frustrating for brands like myself who ge genuinely do make in scotland from scratch um so but that it, happened for so many years you have chinese with all due respect to the chinese for making their porcelains they send over this inexpensive porcelain they put some soaps in it, which are worth more than the pottery. So then they can call it a made in, you know, Britain, made in Scotland, whatever product. And yeah. that I think is wrong. That I it is because it's, it's false advertising, in my opinion, because if I, as a consumer, if I see something that says it's made in Scotland, I assume it's made in Scotland from, from the beginning. Um, so I think it's kind of almost pulling the wool over people's eyes in a way because you you could be a consumer with good intentions thinking you're buying something that's locally made with really no clue as to where it has been made. I do think that the Harris Tweed Orb is a wonderful way of you knowing that, if you, uh, that you're getting a Harris Tweed ethos product. 
Um, there are lots of people who say in the field of Harris to read, blah, blah, blah. But at least, you know, if it's not got that orb, it's not authentic. So I think that would be great if there was a, an eco stamp or something that could be added alongside your names or below or somewhere. I think it'd be great. So anything I could do to help to amplify that, I'm very keen to do. So what are your plans for this coming year? Um, so yeah, I'll be doing the, the Commonwealth Games in July. So we've woven over 1500 meters of tartan that's all finished. Um, so we're now making the outfits. I can't quite say what they are as of yet because we've not revealed them. Um, but oh, we've only revealed the tartan and that's gone down really, really well with the public. So I'm absolutely delighted with the response to that. So fingers crossed that the, the outfits when they're finished will also go down just as well with the public and the athletes. Um, so that's gonna take up the next couple of months of my life. <laughs> and um, I've got, I've been working, I was working with Glenn Morangy last year and again this year on some products for their executives. And um, so kind of, yeah, I guess kind of continuing the B2B, Side of, side of things is always fun as well and hopefully we'll be working together on some things too <laughs> yes exactly i'm very keen to see that happening as well so are there any um shows coming up for your will it be you've done your winter collection i'm sure at this point uh, when would you show your spring so I've not I've stopped working seasonally um, at the moment and it's more okay. just kind of um, well what I'm building with my website actually is a design your own feature so you'll be able to go on and select the design if it's a template of all my most popular designs select your fabric select your buckles that sort of idea and it will all generate so you can play about and design your own kill kill outfit and then that means um it, it gives the customer a bit more freedom to experiment you know they might for example think they want something but when they see perhaps the design of maybe not so it gives them that flexibility of just just playing around with colors and ideas for themselves first and then um we're going to have that all 3d rendered so it's going to look super realistic so that for me is what the direction we're going in and, and plus uh the collections of re reusing um materials and things like that so the silk kilts are actually great because they do work for spring summer too because they're super super light um and then it, we're doing to kuwait or wherever where wearing a woolen kilt is a little bit tough <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah and, it, and it's something as well that the silk ones they can be used for a more formal event as well for, for a female so right. during the day I could wear them with um, some Dr Martens and tights and the leather jacket and they look really cool but then you could put on a really nice uh, blouse or top and some heels and they look equally as sophisticated fantastic well I have to tell you I'm so excited to have been able to be a part of your journey to watch the first silk uh, well you sent us over a wonderful silver metallic kilt I remember yeah. in like 2016 from one of our auctions which is absolutely fantastic from the runway and it, it just was just out of the box and that was great and you always you always are full of so much innovation so very excited for you and to be uh, watching all that's going on and um and onwards we go and so to speaking again very soon um and lots and lots of uh, good fortune to you in the coming weeks thank you thank you camilla
And now let's turn our attention to the museums in Scotland who are featuring fashion in a big way right now. The V&A Dundee has ongoing their exhibit of tartans, which Claire Campbell, Anshabal McKenzie and Chris Hunt have all been involved in. And we'll have a, a catch up around that in a second. Also, the National Museums of Scotland through October have Behind the Little Black Dress, which Claire can tell us a little bit more about. And then we turn to Chris Hunt, who speaks about these exhibits and all that's going on with Tartan, and also hear from the wonderful Dovecot Studios, who have a wonderful exhibit ongoing all the time around weaving. And they've been spotlighting the young talent of various female uh, designers at this time. And so let's carry on in conversation. Design is a really interesting thing because it's really the application of human creativity to solve a problem. But for me personally, and I think for V&A Dundee, it is those extraordinary, exquisite things that some of the most creative minds in the world have thought about. It's also our social history. It tells the stories of who we've been, who we are at the moment, and who we're going to be as a society. So design is about the stuff that we hold, we dress in, the places we live, what we gather around ourselves to create our own identities as people. So what we can. Wow. It's incredible. Isn't it oh, this is great. You can see the whole there, city. It's beautiful. What a view. VA Dundee is Scotland's design museum. We're a young design museum. And that just means that we can be so ambitious and think really creatively about how we engage people with design through all that we do. Right, uh, so uh, our robot's called Bebop. Uh, he's a robot to prevent like loneliness and isolation in schools. And the brain. And he's got a brain. There we go. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> the Schools Design Challenge is a design project for S1 and S2 pupils, which was encouraging them to take a problem that they might face in their day-to-day -day lives and to use the design process to come up with a solution. It's called the social hive because it's a bit like hexagons to represent like a beehive. The point with this was to like combat loneliness, so being able to play with other people and things that you like will bring people together. This was perhaps their first real experience of what a design museum is, but more importantly, it opened their eyes to what design can be. The learning programme creates lots of entry points for people to explore design and to apply design to their own lives. We started to work with Kindred Clothing, who are part of a charity called Front Lounge in the Hilltown in Dundee, and that's a social empowerment project. Look how messy it is on the back, but like, <laughs> how cute it could be in there. Before like Kindred and like coming to the V&A for all the projects, I just didn't do anything. Like it was just a mum like going to baby group and that was it really. We got offered like loads of different fabrics to work with. We learnt all these different techniques. We're using threads and hand embroidery. Yeah, the teal as well. Yeah. Be nice. The confidence it's brought out in me is really amazing. 
A lot of community groups come in and they don't appreciate what they're really capable of. So being able to see them surprise themselves, to see their skills grow and their connection with each other grow is always really rewarding. Where I want to be is that we're an asset for the community and that people see us as an accessible partner and feel that they can come to us with an approach and that we will be a supportive team. It's hard to like truly define what the Young People's Collective is. For me, it's a platform, a platform for young people to have their voices heard within the gallery, but also provide experiences and opportunities you wouldn't otherwise have had. We helped co-design the opening ceremony for the museum. We asked for opinions, gave them suggestions, and they felt that they were all taken very seriously. Through all that, I now find myself on the board for V&A Dundee. It feels very much we're all in it together, we're all trying to figure out what we want, and we're all working together towards a goal. Thank you. I realise that that is an important step and a really powerful thing to have, you know, you want a young person's voice, get them in the room when decisions are being made and having their voices literally heard. There is a lot of opportunity related to the museum, which were not there in the past. And for the people that are getting graduated now, I think it's such a comforting thing for them because if we want to change mentality, we have to educate people. And I think it's been great to have this place somewhere to grow. I've never worked in an organization with such a sense of the difference it can make, such a sense of energy, that it can be world-class and deeply local at the same time. I can see the change that we make every day. I can see the way that audiences react when they come in, but also the way that we work in alliance with the city's wider aims. It's just amazing to be part of a young organisation that's utterly committed to the potential and joy that design is. It's helped expand a part of my creative mind. Creating stuff like this can help with dreams that I pursue. A leading activist within the textile and tartan world and fashion world. And um, I felt it was really important, Chris, that we talked to you today in regard to the wonderful V&A exhibit that has opened in Dundee, Tartan, as who better to give us an insight into this than you. So over to you for a few minutes to talk to us a little bit about the exhibit. Oh, thank you for such an amazing introduction, Camilla. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the American Scottish Foundation and the work you do, Camilla. Um, it's a really important, um, you know, uh, cross-country platform, which is um, uh, extremely important. It's one of the things that really comes through from v Dundee's Tartan. Uh, you know, my first interaction with the cloth, obviously, just growing up, you know of it, 
but uh, when I started working in the industry about 25 years ago, um, you discover, you know, all the ins and outs and the intricacies of it. And I think one of the things that DNA Dundee have really, really managed to do, um, apart from the beautiful plays, um, they've they've really thought deep about some of the exhibits. For example, Olubi Thomas, um, Scottish designer, now lives in London, worked with a Glasgow-based weaving studio, Viva, um, which is run by Christopher McAvoy and Chantal Allen um, on creating a new tartan, which actually reflects um, his kind of, uh, it's called Intersectional Family, and it's in green and white, uh, which is based on both the Nigerian flag and Glasgow Celtic Football Club. Um, and I think the installation, they involved a designer called Jolene Guthrie, who is a knitwear designer that's been in our uh, annual Scottish Fashion Festival that we do with V&A Dundee. Um, and I think that, for me, was one of the exhibits that just really summed up the thought that had gone into the exhibition. You know, you've got local contemporary designers uh, working together um, with designers who are now, you know, working in London to do uh, a, a piece. And that was just for one piece that's in this fantastic show. I mean, and there's 300. So all of that was just around one piece. And there are three, you know, there's 299 other pieces to look at. So I think that for me kind of encapsulates how exciting it is, um, as well as the perspective, you know, that's a contemporary piece. And then we've got things like the Glen Affric Tartan, which is proved to be, you know, there was a piece of scientific research done around that. And that's a piece of tartan that was unearthed in a peat bog about 40 years ago. Um, and that's the oldest piece of tartan that's known, isn't in it? In the world. That's right, which comes from the original plaid. You know, we talk about plaid in America as well, hey? And um, that was the one of the original names for what's now known as tartan. And plaid actually was part of, um, it's a language, you know, you know how language changes, Gaelic and, and Scots and, and English. Um, but plaid was a sort of a word that described a piece of cloth that you would wear that you during the day that you would perhaps sleep on at night and that you would use to carry things in as well um and that was you know part of the origins of what became tartan and obviously you have the different um uh ways that it's developed over the centuries including the infamous book of course that was put together which assigned clan names and things to certain colors um so i think I yeah, think to wonderful... cover all that is amazing. Well, I think the other thing that's about tartan is the story that each tartan tells. And I don't know if everybody understands that. It was very much that when, when I was growing up that you wore your tartan of your family, clan, or what you associated to. But now people play with it. And yeah. they... And they say, well, today I'll wear a lilac tartan with those, because it's spring or something. They don't feel that they now can enjoy different tartans that are a fashion statement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's um it was really interesting, you know, within the exhibition, 
you are able to look at, you know, tartan that was specific to um, uh, military groups, for example. Um, there's also a film from 1745, the you know, which was the um, BAFTA-winning film about um, the tartan in slavery. Um, but the fast forward, and you have the punk, you have Westwood, you have this um, adoption wholeheartedly by counterculture of this uh, incredible fabric. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, my first purchase that was non-school uniform was a pair of tartan DMs um, and, you know, neon tartan was a thing as well. And I think that it's, it's a fabric that's come to mean, um, you know, rebellion in a lot of different ways. And it's simultaneously been used, as I say, by military people and by, you know, the royals, for example. Um, Kinlock Anderson, who hold the royal warrant for Tartan that I used to work for in Scotland. Um, and they created a V&A Dundee Tartan specifically for this as well. Um, and you, you know, people are able to register through the Scottish Tartans Authority. They can create their own and things like this. And I think people are having fun with it again as well, which is really- Avery will chop and change it. So the, and the wonderful center space is where the weavers are and people can watch and see them undertaking um, commissions that they're doing, which you, you do day to day. Absolutely. And that's a really uh, important aspect of the building for us that people are able to come and see the weaving uh, happening. I think so much of sort of artistic production happens behind closed doors in, in studios. There are lots of very good reasons for that. But we have this fantastic opportunity to sort of lift the lid on what we do and let people um, come and see for themselves uh, the, the fantastic work that the weavers do and, and the tapestries, watch the tapestries sort of grow from just the, the blank plain warp threads and then watch them build up and up as they, as they add the designs. Um, and we have the, the balcony gallery, which, which is above, above the weaving studio, above what used to be the, uh, the swimming pool, which uh, is open and, and sort of free to the public um, during uh, the sort of three hours every day. We don't have it open all the time to give the weavers time to sort of focus very much on their weaving without having people above them. But it's very important to us that for a period every day, people can come in and, and watch them work. So from um, in the coming weeks and opening, I think tomorrow, you have two fantastic exhibits. You have a first one that opens um, in, in tomorrow, I believe, um, which is going to be around the landscapes, around the Scottish landscapes. And also after um, run, running alongside it will be another one um, about the women, women in, uh, in art, the Scottish women in art from the Fleming collection, if I have that right. And so could you tell us a little bit about those? Because those will run right the way through the festival um, and really make, but they're going to need tickets. They're going to need tickets because of course you, you do keep weaving. So, so yes, our, our balcony display, as you say, is, is um, sort of themed around the theme of, of the Scottish landscape. Um, and that one's actually in a, our, our free, on the free balcony space. So people can come, come see that uh, for free when, when, whenever we're, we're open. Um, and it, it uses, it, we're working with 10, 
um, so early career artists, recent graduates um, who, who have all graduated from various Scottish art schools in the last five years. And they're all linked by, uh, by approaching the, the Scottish landscape in a, in a whole series of new and inventive ways. So it's very much not just a, not just a display of, of paintings of mountains and fields and rivers and, and seas. It's a very, um, it's really pushing the boundaries of what the landscape genre is and means. And I think the thing that really unifies all, all 10 artists is that they really look at how people interact with the landscape. So all the works are either based on how people have impacted landscape or how the landscape has impacted people. And those might be rural landscapes or urban landscapes or riverscapes. Um, so it's really trying to um, trying to showcase these these new new artists and, and give them a platform, but also push the boundaries a bit of what what a landscape is. Our uh, exhibition downstairs in our our main exhibition spaces, uh, which opens at the end of July, just before the festival starts. Um, as you say, that's on uh, Scottish women artists, and it covers the last two hundred and fifty years of of Scottish art using the Fleming Collection's wonderful holdings as a as a basis um, for the exhibition. Um, and that uh, that exhibition really tries to unpick a bit uh, what what it means for these for these artists who have been working um, over the last 250 years um, and to show how women artists have always been always been a present factor in, in Scottish art and how they have always been heavily involved in Scottish art and to try and to try and we, we like to think of it as, as being an exhibition that tells the story of the last 250 years of Scottish art and we just so happen to be choosing to use only women artists to do it um, the the we're focusing very much on the quality and the innovation of the art itself rather than the the gender of the artists so uh, that one will the women artists will run through august and the the landscapes and the young new um emerging um graduates will run of 10 artists will run through till october so um which is fantastic and um I really hope that we can maybe um, focus in a little bit, especially around your emerging young artists. I mean, if we can, in the next few weeks, return and do a spotlight and maybe be down in the gallery with you and take a and take a look at some of the works and understand it more and um, some of the young people, it would be wonderful. Because it isn't just weaving. This is this is painting, ceramics. Absolutely. So the. The, the Women Artists Exhibition does include some tapestries and rugs made made by us in collaboration with various artists. But the exhibition um, on the balcony is is painting, sculpture, um, video art, installations. And it's been curated by uh, an emerging curator uh, called Siobhan McLaughlin, um, also herself an artist. And I'm sure she'd be delighted to to speak to you and take you through some of her decisions and some of the some of the artworks on display. That's wonderful. So absolutely destination to come to Dovecot, um, to go online beforehand, absolutely. to make sure you've got the timing right. But it's a wonderful area to be in the old town and around Dovecot. So it, it, there's lots to do and to book your tickets because it's yes. important to do that. 
certainly for um, for the downstairs galleries, yes, we would encourage uh, booking in advance if possible. So if you go onto our website um, and into the What's On area, you'll you'll see the opportunity to do that. You'll also find uh, lots of events, both in person and online events, um, available talks, tours, weaving workshops, everything like that. So um, please do, yes, have a look and, and see if anything catches your fancy. And I think they've got so such a rich amount of things to discuss with you. I'd love to know more about what you were weaving for Mount Royal for the Marquis of Butte, um, some of the, the works and beautiful tapestries you've done for them and the history to that a little bit more and also what is going on now to go through this new exhibit that's happening. So thank you for spending a few minutes with us this morning and for us to be able to share and discover Dovecot Studios. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Scots in Us as we shone the spotlight onto eco-fashion and design. It was great to catch up last year with Claire Campbell, Shaborn McKenzie and Chris Hunt and to keep our conversations going over the last few months as they were so involved in all these exhibits that are going on in Scotland. They really are at the centre of design. Next, this upcoming Scots, Scottish North American Conference will take place on December the 1st and 2nd in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about it, go to our website at americanscottishfoundation.org and click on events and you'll see it there. That'll take you to details and how to become involved, how you can attend or join us remotely. We do hope you will do so. It's our 22nd year and we bring together organizations from around the United States, and we ask you to add your voice to the conversation. And so until next time, please join us the first and third Monday of the month for another episode of The Scots in Us, as we share our love of Scotland with you. Thank you. Take care.